I'm Kelly Hoey, host of Broadmic. I speak with the most accomplished entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders about the issues that matter in building a business. You will get the inspiration as well as the picks and shovels you need to become a better entrepreneur. Be inspired, take action, think broad. Broadmic is taking a short break to produce season two. While we are gone, we are releasing exclusive bonus content from all of our guests from season one. We hope you will enjoy hearing even more of the practical wisdom from our amazing guests. Broadmic will be back in a few weeks. In the meantime, think broad. There's one um, question I want to ask you about because, you know, maybe we'll hear less talk this year given where, you know, stock markets and things are at the moment. but. You know, there's mm. all this talk of unicorns. How much of this, you know, when you sort of, as, I know our, our, our um, approach to investing and what we're looking for is often different as an angel, but this obsession with unicorns, um, what are your thoughts? Yeah. You know, I'm not really sure how and why it started. You know, maybe it started because there were so many companies that are, that are, um, starting now that it's easier for institutional investors to say, well, we would only invest in companies that we think are billion-dollar businesses. I mean, honestly, I don't know the answer. But, um, you know, the thing is, is that the private market is one thing in terms of valuation, money being put in, money being put in that by the Series D that you're not making money still, it's a different play. Like, we just want to grab the market share and figure it out later. You know, I've never invested in a company like that, so I wouldn't know. But I think that at one point, it really comes down to the financials. And um, and private equity people are really good at that. And you know who else is really good at it? The public stock, the public stock markets. And so, you know, that is the real telltale sign. And so, you know, we've seen a lot of companies, Guild is a perfect example, being built up to be something worth a tremendous amount of money on paper. Um, but the reality was the business isn't that interesting. Um, it was a short-lived business. It was it was a, you know, up the hill and down the hill, not quickly, but it you know, it it wasn't it wasn't going up, 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 up. You know, it was now going down, 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 which happens a lot in consumer businesses around the, um, you know, in the retail business. And so, you know, are these flash sales businesses? I mean, if we look at history, flash sales businesses never, never maintain themselves for eternity. They like go up, and then they slide down until they stop. And so, you know, I hope that there will be more pragmatic investment being done when it comes around to those big Series C um, plays. Um, But I also believe that we'll see more companies prove that they can be profitable early on to make them more um, owners of their destiny, that if they do want to put their pedal on um, on the floor, they know that if they raise this much money, they can get there. But in some very different methodical way versus just like raising, 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 um, which was very easy in the world 
um, over the last five years. And I'm not so sure it's going to be like that in the next five years, although there's a lot of funds being raised and there's a lot of money out there that has to be put to work. So it'll be interesting to see where we're at. Yeah, it is going to be an interesting year, Joanne. <laughs> it's going um, to be a really interesting year, a really, really interesting year. I mean, I I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of um, acquisitions, um, and I think there will be a lot of checks and balances. Yep. Well, this may be this may actually be the year for for women who are entrepreneurs because I think uh, capital efficiency is going to rule the day, and we know women both. tend to be very capital efficient. We know women invest women uh, entrepreneurs are known for their capital efficiency. So you know, don't don't wear that wear that as a badge of honor, ladies. I totally bravo. <laughs> You and Brad Feld had a very public discussion about being co-investors in a startup where you're both crammed down. Um, for anyone who doesn't understand what a cram down is, like, what is that? And what were the lessons learned? And I'm thinking both lessons from, you know, an investor point of view as well as the entrepreneur. Well, I think this goes down to these notes, and that's what happened, right? And so, you know, I now know, it's like anything. When you make one mistake, you understand that you're never going to let it happen again. And so, you know, now when I talk to entrepreneurs and they say, oh, we're raising money again, and I say, you know, first of all, I have a side note. So what these people actually did is they didn't adhere to my legal side note by telling me that they were raising more money because, but I wasn't going to like throw that in them. But now I say, if you raise another note, you have to let me know because, I need to know because I'm allowed to A, put more money in, and B is you're killing yourself, not only your investors, but yourself too. So now I know to ask the question, and that's basically what happened to me and Brad. And I think Brad, very similar, is very entrepreneur-friendly um, because not only does he do um, you know stuff through – his company, um, but he also, you know, Foundry, but he also does stuff on the side. I mean, he is incredibly supportive of entrepreneurs, and um, and he was frustrated by it, and so was I. Yeah, I mean, the, the two great champions from entrepreneurs, and you know what? Not the career-eliminating move, you know, uh, I would suggest to people. <laughs> but No, but, you know, I still talk to those entrepreneurs. I'm still very, you know, pro their businesses and happy to help, but I have to say— you know, I remember what happened, and it still, you know, pisses me off. I mean, I'm over it, but I'm still pissed off. <laughs> you know, I hear you. I hear you exactly on that. Convertible note versus price round. Do you have a, a preference? <laughs> you know, oh my god, I could talk about this forever. I mean, when 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 I started investing. Um, you know, there was um, a company that was has done very, very well, and they came to me, and um, I talked to them a couple times, and they were doing a note. And I'm like, why are you doing a note? Like, you actually have a business. This should be an equity round. I mean, you know, and my husband's like, we, I hate notes. And I was like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, I was learning too, right? And then fast forward, I'm like, wait a second. Everybody does a note. So if I don't like notes, I'm not going to do any deals. And so... Fast forward on the note situation, eight or nine years later, 
The problem with notes is that the first time around, it makes complete sense. Why? Because you can get the documents done quicker. It doesn't cost a lot of legal cost. And if you fail, you fail. If you succeed, the next round's going to be equity. So it doesn't make any difference, right? You're all going to, but, but the issue is, is that the legal wording in all these documents is so vague that you still don't know in a note really where you're converting. Are you going to convert at the cap? Is it going to be pre or post? I mean, all of this is such a mess. And what they've taught a lot of people more in out of accelerators on the West Coast, which is just take any money you can. And so I've been in businesses where all of a sudden I didn't realize, because I didn't ask, um, and now I do, which is, oh, my God, so we're doing an equity round. Fantastic. I'm so excited. You guys, again, you got a Series A at this number. And then I find out, oh, there were four notes at four different prices. And so what I think I owned isn't what I owned. But not only what I think I own, what the founders think they own is not what they own. And so Techstars, and I got to give Alex, it's got a lot of credit for this. He said, let's come up with a document at Techstars. So a lot of them come in, they've had notes, they've done some deals. This will be almost like an off-the-shelf document that allows anybody to lead a deal to create an equity round. And I was like, I love that because I know myself, I have actually led rounds in order to create an equity round versus a note. And, you know, I've been lucky enough that people who are putting in are like, no, we'll totally let Joanne lead it. That's fine, even though she's an angel. But that way we can all do equity and I'll take a board seat for it and I'll be responsible because then we all know exactly what we own at the company, exactly what it's worth. And when someone comes in for the next round, the diligence is super easy. When you've got four notes out there, it isn't so easy. Yeah, and I'm just like, I'm scratching my head because, you know, think about... Uh, and you should. <laughs> it's like scratching all sorts of parts. Like, this is nuts. But, you know, uh, I, with one of my investments, I got an email saying, hey, we've got some new investors. Um, and so, vice of legal counsel, where, you know, here's what we're doing to everybody's note, like, here's this date is changing, and this is, and this, this amount for conversion is changing. And it was like, okay, that works better for me, rock and roll, and I'm happy to sign it. But also just thinking of this story right now, all of us have the same note. I just, I can't fathom a situation where you are getting all these different notes and who, you know, who's advising the entrepreneur, um, and, and how does this mess happen? Um, you know, That's anyway. a good question. I mean, I don't think anyone's advising the ones that are doing this. Um, and I don't think the legal is doing a very good job of advising them either. But what happened to you is very interesting because – so I had two stories. One company that um, was an accelerator, and they realized because she had done this stupid thing with like three or four notes at different price points that she didn't own enough of the company. So they made her go back to all the note holders and redo the note at a higher number so that she had enough to get into the accelerator that made it worth their while and blah, 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 blah. Now, I was furious because I was one of the first money in at a very low valuation. And now they wanted me to come in at a higher because it was a note you can shift it versus it. I don't know if you can do that with an actual equity note. With an equity round versus a note, which is kind of like you can erase and redo. Um, I did it because I always want to support the entrepreneur. But that is an interesting story. And on the flip side, I had another company that 
you know, he needed a bridge round. And he had set the valuation originally at a ridiculous price. I did not participate in the first, in that deal. And he came to me. My husband's like, go speak to my wife. And I spoke to him and I looked at the whole thing and I said, listen, you are too expensive and nobody's going to do a bridge with you. And here's your options. Let's reprice the round on this note. Get everyone to come in at this much, much significantly lower price. Let's convert everyone based on what you brought in on the note, and then they'll do a bridge on top of it. And by the way, the price is now literally less than 50% of what the note was originally. And he looked at me, and I was like, it's that or you're done. And he's like, okay, fine. And I said, and I'll call all the VCs who had been in the deal. And I called them, and I said, here's what we're going to do. Will you do the bridge? They're like, oh, at that price, sure. And so, you know, that was the good thing about the note. It could get done in two days. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When, it, when, when convertible notes, you know, um, work, they work really well. But, you know, you really right. got to know They're what like you're napkins. standing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to know what you're doing. Um, it's kind of scary. I don't know. I, I really, really, really push everyone to do an equity round now after the first note. Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, I can understand sort of like friends and family and, and you know, maybe that first angel and you're, you, you do a, you know— kind of say you do the convertible note but when you're you know getting in the serious amounts and and you're really like okay I'm really going for this now convert to equity um and I also think it's one of those things it's like you got to be good to the people who are giving you that first dollar right totally and you know also is that you know it's interesting so on one of these documents um and I pushed on this it said well if we oversell the, you know, deal by 20%, we can take it in. And I was like, no, no, because that means everyone else who ends up, who already committed, ends up not owning what they think. And not only that, not only are you growing a company and learning how to manage and learning how to build a product and understanding HR and insurance and raising money and all that, Part of that education process is also being able to say, you know what? I've oversold by 20%, and I'm going to have to tell 20% of the money, I'm really sorry, you're not in. Yeah. Pull up, pull up your big, you know, girl or boy entrepreneur pants. And I think, I mean, if you're in that situation, rather than being, you know, bedazzled by the fact that you've got 20% more, you can say, right, who in these pool of investors who are excited to put money into my company, who are the right investors? That's right. And it happens particularly at later rounds when the companies are really worth a lot of money. They have to do it then because they have no choice. Otherwise, they'd give away way too much of their company. So why not learn early on? Right. So I think that that's why I also like equity is that, you know, I mean, a lot of these people are going in. Nobody knows the, the verbiage. No one really knows what they're doing. They pretend they do. It's like it's part of what you learn as you build a business. And so I do think there is something important about the whole legal um, side and understanding what you're getting yourself into. All right, you mentioned something earlier. Um, So explain this to me as if I, you know was a Martian or in kindergarten. What the heck is blockchain? Well, blockchain, 
to me is is kind of the next paradigm of of computing. So when I uh, first came across the technology, um, it was about three years ago, and uh, it the more time I started spending with it, the more it started reminding me of the early uh, development of the internet. So I um, was a tech investment banker in 1995 when Netscape IPO'd. And you could feel kind of the excitement um, around when, when the IPO happened and the pop it, it had right after the IPO. We all knew that the world was going to change after this. And I, I, I feel a lot of those um, things when I look at uh, blockchain. And, and to answer your question, uh, blockchain is a kind of peer-to-peer distributed ledger uh, that, um, so right now we have uh, client servers and, and, and then the internet where I am on a computer, I send information out to the cloud, it, it then sent, routes information back to me. What the blockchain enables is for um, peer-to-peer connections, so you don't have to go through one intermediary like you have to right now. So if I wanted to, thinking traditional terms, if I wanted to send you money uh, or I, I owed you some money and I wanted to do that, I could either hand you the cash right here, I could write you a check and drop it in the mail, or I'd have to go to my bank to do a, a transfer to you, get your bank information, fees, charges. Days. Right, right now, yeah. if I want to send money abroad, right, right. Uh, it ends up going through three or four different intermediaries and, and banks who all add their own fees on. So it can go up to you know fifteen percent if I'm sending money to, right. to Africa. But it's all um, these, and it's all these these right. uh, sort of these other locations it's got to go through. Yeah. So back to blockchain, what you're saying is there's going to be some way for me and you to do peer to peer that keeps the intermediaries out. Yeah, and and the way that's possible is because of of this global ledger where every transaction is recorded. So uh, you know a lot of reasons we have all these intermediaries is to protect against people spending money that they may not have or verifying people's identities. And and the blockchain, because so much of it is algorithm and software-based, can build all of these uh, kind of parameters into this whole network so you don't need all those verification steps along the way. That if somebody sends you money using this network, you know they have the money and you can trust it and you receive it and you receive it, you know, within 10 minutes and and that's it and you paid a 3% or 2% fee on it. Wow. That changes everything, doesn't and, it? And that, that's just a financial example. I mean, you can use it for notary. Uh, you can use it uh, for down-the-road medical records and, and, and trans— and, and the, other, the other exciting part of the blockchain is that it is a um, very secure network uh, itself. So uh, if you want to know— Verify that your medical records are not, you know, going out to a cloud and getting hacked. If you send them through the blockchain, uh, you know that there's no way it could get hacked within the blockchain uh, because there's no single point of 
failure. It, it's distributed. All the data is distributed and then reconnected together. And that's all done um, algorithmically. Okay, I just had one of those every hair on my body moments, <laughs> like standing on end. And maybe it's because medical, you said medical records, like the thought of actually controlling yes. your own personal information and being confident and secure in what you're, where you're sending it and who's receiving it. Okay, I'm waiting for that for that day. Nirvana. Nirvana. So that, that's a big part of, of what Future Perfect Ventures is doing. And it's great to, to uh, get folks excited about it and, and also um, and, and, and have more diversity in the sector. Because I, I feel like just like the Internet, some of these use cases we don't even know about, but we need a lot of smart, diverse people thinking about it and looking at it to, uh, to create the best potential world out of out of this new technology. Question from Sarah in Los Angeles. And this is one I'm sure you get all the time. As a female, do I need an MBA to be successful in business? I do get that question a lot. And I'm going to answer by saying it depends. Um <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sarah, if you wanted a yes, yes. or a no, you're going to get a depends. Yeah. So let, let me expand on that a little bit. I did uh, get my MBA. I have an undergrad degree in finance, uh, So I and I did do investment banking, as we've talked about. So I, I did have a strong uh, finance background, but often when you're an undergrad, uh, you, don't, you don't have context of what you're learning. And a few years out, so it was a four or five years after that, I decided to go to my uh, t- to get my MBA, and I found it very valuable just because I learned a lot from my classmates and the teachers, and I was able to put things in, I'd say, a more mature context and than sitting uh, without any work experience or any substantial work experience as as an undergrad. Um, I also built my network. We talked about network, and uh, it, it's it's a fantastic network. Several of my classmates have invested in my fund. Others I've invested in as entrepreneurs, and and so I feel like it, it's it was very valuable for me. I mean, that being said, I don't think it's for everyone. If you're on a career path that you don't want to take time out for, uh, you, you you're on a strong trajectory. I, I don't think it's necessary uh, to be successful, obviously, to have an MBA. I, I just think you have to really think about how it could be useful and why you would do it and, and instead of thinking, you know, that's the thing to do. Uh, not everyone needs to do it, but, but be very kind of clear on, on what you'd want to get out of it. Uh, and which probably pick, plays into, too, the, you know, what school to go to because, again, if it's about so much the value is – the peers and the peer network that you're going to, you know, walk away with, you know, who is in that classroom and, and, you know, do you need more of those same people or are they people you don't have in your network and sort of factoring that all in? Uh, we had another interesting question, which uh, is one that I, I would say I stumble across a lot, uh, but I'm really interested in your view as, as a VC. What, um, an entrepreneur wondering about crowdfunding, um, you know, how you look at that uh, and the need to raise friends and family, you know, as a VC thinking about it, put aside what someone's business needs, but as a VC, what kind of knocking on doors and ability to raise money do you want to see before they they hit your doorstep? So uh, as a VC, 
because I do often invest after friends and family money or the entrepreneur has put in their own money, I, I don't really care as much where that money came from. I just want to see the product at a certain point before I'm ready to to invest. So crowdfunding and friends and family money can be extremely useful for an entrepreneur to get to that point. Um, I think crowdfunding can work for entrepreneurs who want to build businesses without venture funding. Venture funding is not for everybody. You have to know as an entrepreneur that if you're taking venture money, that venture investor is going to have to exit and return capital to their investors. So that automatically puts a certain amount of urgency or pressure. I mean, we talked about it being, you know, five to 10 years, but, but that's still different than saying, you know, an entrepreneur who just wants to keep growing their business and, and not necessarily sell it or ha- not necessarily IPO or wants to be in control of their business the whole time, crowdfunding may be a better option for them instead of getting a VC involved. So I, I, I have no problem with investing in a company that's been crowdfunded as long as they understand what taking venture money would entail. Thank you for listening to Broadmic. We welcome your feedback. Find us on Facebook, where you will have show notes and additional references for a deeper dive into today's topic. Subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Please review our podcast on iTunes, which will help other listeners discover Broadmic and grow the Broadmic community. Broadmic is produced by Christy Mirabel with editing by John Marshall Media. Our executive producer is Sarah Weinheimer. Think broad.